Hello, and welcome to A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, a ministry of Calvary Chapel San Juan Capistrano. Open your Bible and join us, as together we seek to grow in our daily walk with the Lord. In the 90th Psalm, the psalmist penned a heartfelt request to the Lord when he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The psalmist had come to the realization that man does not have all the time in the world. That time is a precious and valuable commodity that should not be wasted. That life on earth is temporary and brief. And therefore, when we understand the importance of using our time wisely, because it is limited, it affects the way that we live. As a Christian, there are biblical truths and prophetic promises in Scripture that have a direct impact upon our lives and serve as a divine incentive to make the most of the time that we have been given. And within the passages of Scripture before us, there is a sense of urgency within the apostolic exhortations to the church. You can sense the emphasis in the phrases, knowing the time, it is high time, awake out of sleep, salvation is near, the day is at hand. All of these phrases together give us the strong impression that this is not the time for procrastination, but for action. That this is not the season for lethargy, but for urgency and activity. And the important underlying reason that the Apostle Paul is sounding the alarm, sending out a personal wake-up call, is because Jesus is coming again. The return of Christ is near. There is coming a day when our opportunity for evangelism will cease. There is coming a day when a Christ-rejecting world will experience the judgment of Almighty God. And that is why Paul uses and urges the believers here or exhorts them rather in verse 11. He says, and do this. Do what? In the context, Paul is referring to what he's just emphasized in the previous verses. He urges the importance of the foregoing exhortation in view of the imminency and the certainty of the rapture of the church as believers will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's saying, live your life as a Christian in this world while you still have the opportunity to be a Christian in this world. Don't simply talk about it. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> the reason why I should live this way 
is because I have the knowledge of something that is limited, which is time. Knowing the time, it's high time to awake out of sleep. There are two words in the Greek language for time. One is the word chronos, from which we get our English word chronology. It refers to time on a sundial or days on a calendar. The second word that Paul uses here is kairos, which means a fixed or appointed season, an era, an age of time. When studying through the Bible, you find that God has his own timetable in the ultimate redemptive history and future of humanity. And it is here in light of the time that Paul warns believers not to fall asleep. When he talks about falling asleep or being awake, he's not talking about physically falling asleep. He's talking about something spiritual. He's warning against falling into spiritual apathy or to become inactive spiritually, not to allow themselves to drift or to sink into a comfortable position of spiritual inactivity. And when he uses the word salvation, salvation that is nearer than when we first believed, he's not referring to salvation as it relates to being born again, He's referring to salvation as it relates to Christ coming again. I am saved. I have been born again. I have placed my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for me when he died in my place and he rose again from the dead. I am saved. I confess him as my Lord. I've turned from my sin. I've repented. I've called upon his name. I am saved. But listen, I am also going to be saved. That is, he is coming again for me, whether in life or in death, he is coming. And so I have this understanding, my salvation, it's nearer than when I first got saved. It's nearer than when you first believed. The church has always lived with the anticipation of the return of the Lord. And it was a great motivator and a catalyst in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And this emphasis placed on godly living in light of the return of Jesus is seen throughout the New Testament. In the book of Titus, chapter 2, in verse 11, Paul writes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And why is that? Because we are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the incentive. This is what motivates me to live godly in this world. Jesus is coming. In writing to the Hebrews... The author of that epistle in chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love in good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Folks, listen, I believe that the day is approaching. And in light of that, it has a direct link and impact on how I live. James, 
in chapter 5, says much the same thing. He said, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives it. The early and the latter rain, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus said in Revelation 22, and behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. You understand the emphasis, the theme, the exhortation to live in light of the soon return of Jesus. It's at hand, it's near, the day is coming. Now there may be some of you here this morning that are unfamiliar with the phrase, the return of Jesus. Maybe you're wondering, is that a reference to the rapture or the second coming of Christ? Are they the same thing? And that can be confusing. For some, when reading through the scriptures, you may find it difficult to determine whether a passage is referring to the rapture or the second coming. Or when a pastor says, the Lord is coming, we say amen. Which coming are we talking about? Which one are we referring to? The rapture and the second coming are similar but separate events. Both involve Jesus returning. Both are end time events. However, it is crucially important to recognize the differences between the two. In summary, the rapture is the return of Christ into the earth's atmosphere, into the clouds, to remove all believers from the earth before the time of God's wrath is poured out upon the world. The second coming, on the other hand, is the return of Christ to the earth to bring an end to the tribulation and to defeat the Antichrist and his evil world empire and to establish his kingdom upon the earth at the rapture. Believers are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, there it is, together, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At the second coming, believers return with the Lord to the earth. Revelation 19, verse 14 declares, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. The second coming takes place after the great and terrible tribulation recorded in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. But the rapture of the church occurs before the tribulation. And there is a strong biblical case for a pre-tribulation, pre-wrath, rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation 
by our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen. Jesus went to the cross and the wrath of God that I deserved, that you deserved, was poured out on him at the cross. He became our propitiation, our redemption. The wrath of God was poured out on him. He died in my place to save me from wrath that will eventually come. And therefore, if Jesus died to save me from wrath, listen, in the great tribulation, it's called the wrath of the lamb. But the lamb died to keep me from wrath. Would now the lamb pour out his wrath upon me that he died to keep me from? The answer to that is simply no. No, we've been saved, delivered from the wrath to come. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus writes to the faithful church during the last days, and this is what he says, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from, that is out of, the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. I will keep you out of it. The rapture, folks, is the removal of believers from the earth as an act of deliverance. Whereas the second coming includes the removal of unbelievers as an act of God's judgment. The rapture, it will be secret and instant. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 51, Behold, Paul said, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. It's instant. It's quicker than you can blink your eyes, how fast it will take place. But the second coming, it's visible to everyone. Every eye is going to see him. Those who pierced him will look upon him. They'll ask him where he got the scars. Every eye will see him. Matthew 24 makes that evident and clear. The second coming of Christ also will not occur until after certain other end times events take place. One, the revealing of the man of sin, the son of perdition, the antichrist, the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, the abomination which brings about desolation, all recorded in Revelation chapter 6 through 18. There are several things that have to happen before the second coming of Christ can occur. On the other hand, the rapture, and this is incredibly important, make note of this, the rapture is imminent. Meaning it can come at any time. There is nothing left on the prophetic calendar of God that needs to be fulfilled for the trumpet to sound, for the church to be caught up. Why is it important for us to keep the rapture and the second coming distinct from one another? Because if the rapture and the second coming were the same event, believers would have to go through the tribulation period and experience the wrath of God that Jesus died to save us from. Secondly, if the rapture and the second coming were the same event, then the return of Christ is not imminent. There are many things which must occur before the second coming can take place. Third, in describing the tribulation period in Revelation 6 through 19, nowhere does it mention the church of Jesus Christ. During the tribulation, also called the time of Jacob's trouble, God is going to turn his attention primarily on the nation of Israel to draw them back to her Messiah. The point is this, Jesus is coming again. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, 
And in light of the limited time that we have, and by the way, can I tell you that our time is limited? Sometimes we only think time is limited for those people who have a, a diagnosis that they're told, hey, listen, you've got this much time. We think their time is limited. Every single person in here, our time is limited. Whether you have a diagnosis or you don't. Whether Jesus comes for, for the church in the rapture or he takes us in death. Listen, time is of the essence. It is limited regardless of how healthy you are or unhealthy you are. It's time to live, in other words, awake and alive in light of the limited time and the imminent return of Christ. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let me read to you the literal translation of this passage in Romans 13, verse 12. Listen to what it says. It's here on the board. The night has long been on its way and the day has arrived. Therefore, let us at once and for all put off the works of darkness. Let us at once and for all clothe ourselves with the weapons of light. When the Bible here refers to night, in a literal sense, night is that period of time between sunrise and sunset. That part of the day that lacks light. Metaphorically, described in this verse, darkness is a time of moral and spiritual darkness and night that covers the present world and is radically opposed to the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 9 that he must work the works of him who sent him while it is day, for night is coming when no man can work. In other words, time is running out. I love what Spurgeon said concerning this. He said, quote, If I knew that our Lord would come this evening, I should preach just as I mean to preach. And if I knew he would come during this sermon, well, I would go on preaching until he did. The fact that Jesus Christ is to come again, it's not a reason for stargazing, but for working in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that I know Jesus is coming soon, that the night is spent, that the day is at hand. What now? How does that affect the way that I live? And I think this is so critical, and I think there is, in some places, perhaps, a lack of emphasis and teaching and preaching on the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Some churches, perhaps, that do not mention it. Look, listen, we need to be reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming again. We need to be reminding one another, Maranatha, he's coming quickly. But how does this affect the way that I live? And there is something that Paul says, there are things that need to be taken off in light of the limited time and the imminent return and other things that are to be put on. First of all, things that are to be set aside. In verse 12, therefore, in light of what I just told you, therefore, let us... Cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You remember that Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. And they won't come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. When you live without a relationship with Christ, you live in darkness. You walk in darkness. And the darkness that is to be cast off represents sin and evil practices that are found in the darkness of this world. We are children of light, the Bible says. 
And therefore, we don't walk in darkness. We walk in the light as Jesus is the light. And Jesus told us, you're the light of the world. You're like a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we are to throw off the darkness. Or another way to say it is to repent of it. Turn from it. Don't give in to it. Don't indulge in it. Cast it off. In Ephesians 4, Paul said it this way. That you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The old man, the old you, the old person, put it off. Who you used to be is not who you are today in Christ. Your old identity, what you used to identify with is not what you are if you're in Christ today. You're a new creation. And so I put off the former conduct, the old man, the deceitful lust. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1, exhorted the believers when he said, Therefore, since we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. We set it aside. We cast it off. We renounce it. We turn from it. Let me ask you, are there any works of darkness that you have begun to put back on instead of take off? I think I can still fit into darkness. Let me see. Oh, man, it's a little tight, but I'm in it. What are you doing? Cast it off. That's not who you are. That's who you were. Why would you want to go back to that? Is there any works of darkness that you're picking back up? Former things that Jesus died to set you free from and you find yourself drifting back to it. He says, cast it off. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He's, he's saying, deal drastically with this. Remove it. It's not worth it. And in its place, as I cast off the works of darkness, I then put on something. I put on, I love this, the armor of light. The fact that it's armor implies something, doesn't it? That it's war. That it's a battle. It's a conflict. It's a fight. There are, friends, weapons that are formed against us. There are satanic opposers with an arsenal pointed at the church, and thus we must put on the whole armor of God to be able to withstand. We have to be clothed with the weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we're to put on the armor of light. I find the order, by the way, significant. Casting off darkness putting on light. The order is significant. It starts with turning from darkness and putting on light. And this affects the way that I live. The armor of God. It says in verse 13, in light of darkness being cast aside, renounced, armor of light being put on, now it says, walk properly as in the day. When the Bible refers to walking properly, 
It refers to the conduct of the Christian, how we live, how we walk, our manner of life. Walk properly. Walk worthy, the Bible says, of this calling that you've received. Put it another way, how a Christian lives as a Christian. It's living a life that is pleasing to God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, make a note of this passage. It says, for you were once darkness, and we were, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Again, that is who you were. That's not who you are anymore. Now, because you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you are light in the Lord. So walk like it, is what he's saying. Live like it. Don't just say you are. Live like you really are. If we are walking in the light, the Bible says we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light as he is in the light. Now, if you don't know what walking in the light is, say, well, can you define that for me? What, is, what does that exactly mean, walk in light? What Paul does here in this passage is he helps us understand what walking in light is by telling us what it isn't. He shows us the antithesis of walking in light, the, the total opposite of walking in light, so that you'll know, if I'm doing these things, this isn't light. This is darkness. And here's where he begins in verse 13. Not, first of all, in revelry and drunkenness. If you walk in light, you don't walk in revelry and drunkenness. The word actually refers to a wild nighttime festival in honor of Bacchus, who was the Roman god of wine. And this began with a parade, an intoxicated, drunken parade through the streets and ended in sexual immorality. There are many people today who worship at the altars of Bacchus, start out, get intoxicated, go home with somebody, never to see them again. I mean, this is the way that the world lives in darkness. That's not the child of God. Living in drunkenness and revelry. A Christian who walks in life, they're not out, or walks in light and in life for that matter, isn't out partying and getting drunk with their co-workers at the Christmas party. You just don't do it. Why? Because you're a child of light. You're not in darkness anymore. Well, how much is too much, Pastor John? How do I know if I've had too much? You know what? You're never going to have to wonder whether or not you've committed the sin of drunkenness. If you never drink, it just won't happen. You won't have to worry about it. I need to get a, I need to breathe into this thing to see if I can have a few more. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Set them up again, Charlie. You know, what are you, what are you doing, child of light? What are you thinking? Thanks for joining us today for A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. You'll find us online at adailywalk.org. That's a good place for resources to help you grow in your daily walk. If you'd like prayer or have questions or comments you'd like to share with us, our email is adailywalk at gmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 877-242-0828. That's 
1-800-242-0828. To watch today's message again or any message you may have missed in the series, download our free app. Simply search CCSJC. Be sure to stay tuned with Pastor John on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. Make sure to join us next time when we'll again open the Word together, seeking to apply God's truth to your daily walk.